the passage we're going to look at today, we have Paul who's in prison, you know, hanging out, having a good time, hanging out in prison, writing a letter to the Philippians to talk to them about the fact that they need to be unified and that they are struggling to find unity. And so he's writing them from prison and sort of saying, hey, like, what, what are we doing here? And so as we look at this passage today, which I'm going to read here in just a second, I want you to think about for you, what is the church? What does it mean to you? And as, you're th- as we think about what God tells us about what the church looks like or what the body of Christ should look like, I want you to think about where your thinking is wrong. Because as I'm, as I'm processing through, there's things we think about that don't fit here. Not that they can't be here, but they shouldn't be the central of what we're doing here. For example, your view on COVID. Great, I'm glad you have one. I don't care. Your view on politics. Great, we all have one. I don't care, right? You think about all the selfish desires you have and you think the church, that should be forefront of what the church is doing or accomplishing. Here's a great thing in churches. We all are passionate about things. Like I like kids, youth, all day long. Love them. And so when I fight what I want, oftentimes I'm going to fight for what the youth need or I think what the youth want or should have. Someone else is coming in for a women's ministry or children or whatever. And we all sort of think our passion should be first and foremost. And the reality is that's wrong. That's not true. There's only one passion that should be first and foremost. And we'll get to that. Also, there's things like our families. You come in here with different ways to raise a family, raise kids, marry, all those kind of things sort of fight in, in and reality is we make those sometimes the most important things when they're not. And so when we look at this passage, let me read it. This is in Philippians. We're going to read 2, 1 through 11. And it says this. This is Paul writing. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then he goes then, which is not there, complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, and being in full accord of one mind. Then he says this, he goes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or or conceit, but in humility count each other's more significant than yourselves. Look at each of you, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who did not count count equality with God a thing to be grasped, though he was in the form of God, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself, being found in human form, and by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, as we get into this, Lord, I just pray you do help us to be a to truly think about where we're wrong, where we're not thinking about how we should be as Christians, men and women, as a church, how we are missing points or missing things and how we can better reflect your glory and the greatness of who you are, Lord. In your name, amen. So probably the main verse in all of Philippians, if you flip back, you don't have to look at it, but I'm just going to read it to you, but it's Philippians 127, and basically it says this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then if you add our part, then it, in order, and if you do that, that will complete my joy. And so we're going to get that to a minute. But the first thing you want to notice is verse 1. Paul's, and I would call gentle reminder. Gentle reminder. From prison. Remember, the dude is in prison. And it's not like he's getting three square a day and life's great. He got TV. I mean, I'm sure prison is not a pleasant place. 
But in prison, he goes this. He, he says this. So if, and we all can answer this question, not out loud, but in your heads, is there any encouragement found in Christ? I think we could all say yes to that. Any comfort from love? I think we can all say yes to that. Any participation in the Spirit? I think we can all say yes to that. Any affection and sympathy? I mean, all of us, if you walk with Christ, all those things, not in totality, but have a, been part of your life. If you've had an illness, if you had something struggle, God has given you the grace to get through that, right? He's given you strength to do stuff. So we see God's goodness all the time. But what happens is what we focus on is all the things we think we don't have. So this is a great story. This is a, it was my a neighbor kid. We used, to, we used to play with him, hang out with him. And I remember one day he was talking. His dad was a police officer, I mean, a great police officer. And his dad, he was talking one day. He goes, I just, my dad doesn't really love me, da-da-da. Like, I just, you know, whatever, you're a great dad, da-da-da, all this stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was fascinating because then later when he was graduating seminary, he comes up to me and goes, Adam, I just want to tell you something, how great my dad is. Because what he finally realized about his father was though his father didn't say he loved him all the time, his father didn't necessarily play games with him all the time and all those kind of things. His father worked countless hours doing overtime so that he could, and he said, he was, I finally realized why my dad did what he did. My mother wanted to remodel the house. I was playing in basketball camps and tournaments. My sisters, and he said, he worked so hard so we would, he would never have to tell us no. He, I mean, and it's interesting because when we think of God, we're always mad at God for what he's not doing for us, what we think he's not doing for us. We're frustrated. How come you haven't taken this pain away? How come you haven't given me a spouse? How come my kid's a meathead? I mean, all the things that, like, and we're always frustrated that God hasn't done enough. But if for one moment you just stopped and thought about all the things God has done for you, all the ways he has blessed you, we begin to realize how great and wonderful God is. And so then the next verse, literally uh, two goes, so then complete my joy. And Paul's saying, complete my joy by coming, becoming one, working together, putting each other's needs ahead of the other. Stop being selfish. Stop thinking your, your passion, your dream is the only thing that matters. Right? And he's talking to the church, like, come on. And most people, and I, I would argue this to my death, you want people to flood churches? Have people in churches look like Jesus. Period. I don't care what programs you have. I don't care how good your music is. I don't care if your pastor is good or bad at preaching. doesn't matter. If you had a church that literally preached the gospel and their people represented that gospel, you would have a hard time getting people in your, not getting people into your pews. Because most people walk into a church and what do they see? They see a place where we're not of the same mind. We're not of the same love. We're, we're trying to get our things done, not God's things done. And so it's interesting as Paul's writing this, and then the three is the one that you're like, uh, you got to go hide under a rock because you, it's guilty. We're all guilty of it. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit because I never do anything out of selfishness. My whole life may be based on that. But this is the great word. But in humility, count others more significantly than yourself. Now here's the great word. How many of us, raise your hand if you're humble. It's such a crazy word because the minute you go, I'm humble, you're no longer humble, right? To be humble, you almost have to be not th ever thinking about yourself. So you're a self-loathing, oh, woe is me. You're not humble because it's totally focused on you. If you're on the other end, you're arrogant. Hey, I'm so great. I do. I, I have a quiet time every day, 16 hours every day. I'm like, I, no one loves Jesus more than I do, right? You're not humble. 
Humble is the fact that you can put aside yourself and think of others and not yourself. And here's the bottom line. We're never not going to be. We're, we're always going to struggle with humility because we're just human. But the reality is, think about that for one second. If we could learn to be people who are far more concerned about the other, that would be crazy. That would be awesome. We could truly show people the love of Christ. If you've ever done marriage counseling, what is the number one problem in any marriage? Your own personal selfishness. Right? It's no different than in the church. We, are, we, we try to be a family. We try to act like a family. So I help with East Wrestling coaching, and this is great. Now, I don't know if they made this up, so you may, I may say this phrase, and you go, oh, we've all heard that. Well, I'm dumb. I haven't heard it before, but I have now. They use the phrase every time they talk to these wrestlers, and they call it, they go, family. We're a family. And then Lily, and the acronym Lily means forget about me. I love you. So maybe that, I don't know if that's new, false. I mean, maybe they made it up. I have no idea. Copyrighted. I just got sued. I have no idea. But they used the frame family, and I thought, what a perfect example of what the church should be like. Forget about me, I love you. And not love like we're going to throw out the Bible and do whatever we want, but the reality is we're bringing the gospel to bear on every aspect of our life and everybody else. In, a, in love. I mean, God did not come in with a hammer and beat anybody up, except for the Pharisees. But everyone else, he just brought love. He just brought, here's the truth, here's what's going to set you free, here's what's going to give you the peace you're so desperately looking for, right? That's what Jesus brought. And he's sitting in a jail cell telling the Philippians to freaking pull it together. Because they're, they're fighting, they're not able to unify, they're not. And so he's a, he goes, people, come on. And you ask, how do we become unified, right? The first thing is what? We don't be prideful or selfish, right? We stop worrying about what I need and start worrying about what they need. I mean, think about how well that works in a marriage. The minute you can stop worrying about all the things you feel like are being left, not met in your life, and start thinking about the other person, life becomes easier. Right? Same way in the church. You think about it. If you put people's needs in the glory of God first, what would this church literally look like in a month? Well, if you really didn't care their, their view on COVID or the stock market or whether we should reelect Trump or keep Biden or get somebody new or, you know, find an alien to run our planet, whatever, I mean, whatever you think is happening, what if your goal was to show people the glory of God? Period. That your life would represent Christ in all aspects, in all walks, in all places. What you desperately wanted to do was just show people a picture of Jesus. What that looks like in our lives, Right? Because it is hard to be humble, and you're going to fail at it, right? And so one of the greatest aspects of the kingdom of God, and you see it in Christians all the time, is this idea of repentance. I am sorry. I did this to you. Or I forgive you. I know you've offended me. I know you did things wrong. I know you did them on purpose. I love you, and I forgive you. Even if they don't ask for it. Right? That's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of Jesus. And you think about how and why should we do any of that stuff. It sounds nice, beautiful, great, da-da-da. Why should we do that? Because of what Christ did for us. I mean, you think about this whole thing. I mean, literally, when you read, this is 5 through 7, all right, 
literally it is. Have the mindset of Christ, right? Have the mindset of Christ. And he says what? Christ is in heaven. He was God. And what did he do? He literally stepped out of heaven, stepped out of perfection, stepped out of unity, stepped out of everything, and became a man. And I don't even know a good example of this, but this is the one I can come the closest with. Let's take Jeff Bezos. Dude is doing pretty well in terms of standards in, in the world. What if Jeff Bezos one day just said, I'm done. I'm going to put it all aside. I'm going to go become a greeter at Walmart. I'm going to put aside my money. I'm going to put aside my wealth. I'm going to put aside everything I have. I'm just going to go serve as a greeter at Walmart to give people an idea of what it would be like to become a businessman. Right? We'd all be like, what? Now, that's pale, pale, not even close to what Christ did for us. Not even close. God himself, he's, and it even says it in the, in the passage, right? He was God. He, he, he did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped because he was God. And he said, I'm going to come down to this planet. I'm going to become a man, live a perfect life. Also, they can get mad at me and kill me. Right? All they're going to do is hang me on a cross, right? And even, I mean, and they're going to hang him on a cross and watch him die, watch him suffocate to death. Why? Because they hated him, just like we hated him. But for what purpose? So that he could rise again and conquer death and free us from the sin that bonds us, that holds us. And so what I want to encourage you to think about is, why do we keep wallowing in the sin? Why don't we get out? Christ has paid the price. There's nothing that prevents you from doing it. Nothing. Outside of not having a relationship with Jesus. And the reality is what? I mean, Jesus came and paid everything we had to pay. You have to do nothing. You don't have to get your life together. I had, I had a conversation with a youth group, uh, student the other day, and he literally was like, he literally goes, we were having this conversation, I won't say what he said, but literally he, we were sitting there talking, and he, and he goes, I, I had sort of compared myself to a pedophile in the sense of like, I have that, I am that evil. And he literally goes, there's no way. I go, but the reality is if you understand the grace of God, you understand that's totally true of all of us. There is nobody worse than you in terms of sin. You may not have reacted on it, but there's nobody worse than you in terms of sin. That sin that runs in everybody else is just as deep as it is in me. And the reality is, that's why Jesus came. Because he had to kill that sin. He had to pay a price for that sin. That sin that's so deep in us. Right? That's why he came. That's why he gave up and put aside his... Uh, he didn't give up being God, but he put aside some of those attributes so he could serve us and become a man. That he could suffer and die and rise again. And so what Paul is literally telling the Philippines is, remember this. Remember what Christ has done for us, for you, for me, for all those who call upon his name. And, and be complete my joy by being of one mind, of one body, right, of one focus. And what is that focus? Reflecting Christ. Right? That's what it is. When I was in Guatemala, there's this pastor there, and his name was Romaldo. And the lady, the missionary used to call him, there's Jesus walking. That's what she used to refer to him as, Jesus walking. 
This dude had, I think, seven or eight kids, a wife, and he had three or four different churches he preached at. And he would walk up to 15 miles a day to go preach. He also, like, they would give him money to help add on to his house, because I think he was in a two-bedroom house with eight of them or something like that. Like, it was just crazy. He would never take the money and use it for himself. He would always take the money and use it for the churches. Because he always would say, ah, they're better, they're worse off than I am. Right? They're doing worse than I am. They can use it more. They have, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And it was just fascinating to watch because, I mean, I didn't speak Spanish. He didn't really speak English. So, I mean, we knew each other. We met her several times and hung out. But, like, I, but like just watching his life literally made me think everyone around him would refer to him as Jesus walking. Not because he was perfect, not because he didn't have issues, because what they saw in him was so drastically different than what the culture around him was doing. They were like, that has to be Jesus. Because it was so starkly contrast to the way everybody else was living. Why do we struggle so much with reflecting our Savior? Think about that. Why is that so hard for us? God did everything for us. And yet, I have a hard time getting over my own self. Thank you, Marie. So I just want to challenge you something. As a church, Paul is calling us to be unified. He's calling us to be of one mind. And that mind is resting and only in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you to think about something. As a follower of Christ... How do you prevent the church from being a place people want to come? And listen to me. Before you answer that question, I want you to think about something. I am not talking. There are things in the Bible that people hate. God says, I am the only way to heaven. I am the only way to God. All other religions are false. Like, we're not talking about changing those things. What I'm talking about is you living out your life as a Christian, living out your life as a reflection of God's glory, Where do you fail? Where do we fail as a group? Because God is calling us to be that reflection, to be that outpouring of God's spirit. We all have him living in us. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you. All right, let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the time we can get together. We thank you so much for the fact that you love us. And even as we read this passage and listen to this passage, it is so stark in contrast to, I think, how I live, how a lot of us live. And I pray that you will give us the wisdom and the fortitude and and the love for you and the encouragement of our friends and our fellow believers here to, to begin to live a life that truly does reflect you in a way that is honoring to you, is glorifying to you, and in a way that The world is just curious to know how that can possibly be, Lord. In your name, amen.